We believe everything in the universe has a right to exist. An interesting notion which I do not share. You may leave now, if you wish. We are not going without our shuttle crew. I warn you. Enough. We have people who need attention. We won't hurt you, but we must help them. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton getting ready to be phased two'd. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about Star Trek's biggest what ifs. But before we do that, I believe, Tyler, there's some news to dive into about the world's most successful streaming network, Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> Well, look, I, we had talked about it uh, kicking off the year with regards to the ongoing efforts from uh, Sherry Redstone, who uh, has kind of this controlling interest in the, uh, the the Paramount Studios as we know it, um, trying to sell it off. And, and what we can say right now is that um, these efforts are ramping up with uh, Skydance making an offer for Paramount Global, you know. So I, I guess what what do we have to say? Um, things are still uncertain about what that means for like the Star Trek franchise. We we do know that there are continued efforts to get a a, a separate film going. One maybe <laughs> like not related to the Kelvin verse, but they don't want to say that the Kelvin verse is over. Um, I don't know, Cam. Like, here's the thing that gives me hope is that um, Star Trek is still a a uh, iconic pop culture. Thing that would be a crown jewel if you are looking to take over Paramount. Paramount's IP, uh, intellectual property, it's what? Um, Indiana Jones, it is... Uh... That's doing well. That's a healthy franchise at the moment. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, uh, Transformers mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and Star Trek, uh, I, I guess Top Gun. You know, they, they want to have a third Top Gun movie, but it's not quite the same yeah. as a Star Trek. So that's why I, I'd still hold on hope for this franchise here. Yeah, and there's also Mission Impossible, but like the last one of those didn't do gangbusters at the box office either. It seems like it's kind of an aging franchise. So it seems like a great time to kickstart Star Trek again. Um, I don't know that hiring the screenwriter who was the author of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is the way I'd go, but hey, anything can work, right? <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? Like, films are so much of a collaborative thing you know i, I you mm -hmm. look at television i think it's so, so much more of a writer's medium whereas you look at film and it's really I, I i if a movie just is garbage i there's only so much you can blame on the writer who may mm -hmm. have been left in the dust five drafts ago by other writers and whatever the director's vision was you know and so that's why when i, I i'm not gonna look too much into it when they hire you know the writer of bats to proceed with Star Trek Nemesis. Um, he was also the writer uh, behind Gladiator. Mm -hmm. And we end up getting, you know, uh, Bats. We end up getting Gladiator. And you put it all together and you have a bad director who was not a fit for the franchise in Stuart Baird. You have 
you, you get a Star Trek nemesis. So that's why I, you know, I know what you're getting at. You know, like I, I'm not going to judge um, credits for, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln vampire uh, slayer, vampire hunter. Um, uh, now against... you've got me confused. Maybe it was Hunter or Slayer. I can't remember. Yeah. But you know, I like I, I I'm if somebody's got a good idea, um, and you know, like because wasn't the it was based on like a book first before it became a movie, right? Uh, he wrote the book, yes. Yeah, and and so then he wasn't even the screenwriter behind this movie that turned out to be kind of a turd of a movie. So it's kind of like I think he did adapt it. He I think he did adapt his own novel, and he also I think adapted um for like a draft. Yeah, uh, I'd have to look that one up, but I think he also did the adaptation of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies as well. Okay, I I for me I'm just like I I that that doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just like if somebody comes in, um, and they've got a good idea. Like they'll take his draft, they'll fine tune it. I I think it's just such a what you find with the film industry. It's just it's such a crapshoot when you can get like a really really good movie made. You know it. And, oh yeah. You know you, you can line up incredible talents, and a movie can still stink. You know the writer, the director, the actors could be like exceptional, but for whatever reason, maybe they just the film doesn't work. You know maybe you can hire some no names, and for whatever reason, something just pops. You know so it's it, it, it's tough. So. You know, I don't know the the state of the franchise. Um, I don't know a lot of question marks, but I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked if you know Skydance, uh, you know, puts in a bid for Paramount. They buy it, and they're looking through their portfolio, and they're like, "Huh, strange new worlds. Let's cancel this." You know, like I, <laughs> I don't think that's what's in store. But what makes me very worried is, <laughs> is it going to be like one more decade of of no Star Trek films? Like that seems stupid. That does. Um, I don't know if that would affect the potential of um, Starfleet Academy happening. <laughs> oh, we'll God. find out. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know, Kim, do you know why I was uh, I, I was bugging you just now with regards to the whole like um, uh, you know, television versus uh, film director or film writer sort of things? Because I, I'm rewatching uh, the television adaptation uh, or kind of sequel. Uh, for Watchmen. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember going into that. Uh, I was really pumped for it. Like uh, Damon Lindelof, who I, I really admire all the television stuff that he's done. Um, they tapped like uh, Trent Reznor to do the music. And I, I was giving mm-hmm. you updates on this. And I remember as this is going on, um, you were very meh on the very idea of it. Right. And I was like, what, 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 what is that? And you're like, I don't like Damon Lindelof. And, but it was also, you'd only been exposed to like, the movies. His, like, film efforts. Yeah. You know, like, like maybe uh, Alien Prometheus. Or, no, I think it was just called Prometheus. Yeah, but, like, Prometheus yeah. or Star Trek Into Darkness. And the thing is, like, did those movies not work solely because of Damon Lindelof, who I know for a fact has done amazing television, incredibly creative television? So that's why I was pumped. And I can understand why, based on, like, what you had, like, his, what his name was attached to in the film industry. And these are very different industries, despite the fact that you can watch both of them on television. Um that's why I was still kind of like pumped for Watchmen. And guess what, Cam? Um, what did you think of Watchmen after you watched it? I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. There you go. Uh, this is Tyler's way, his internal effort to get everyone to say, you're right, Tyler. You're right. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, so wait a minute, Cam. What are we even doing again this episode? What ifs? Star Trek what ifs, right? Yes. Um, what if we had a film franchise? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do we mean by what ifs, Cameron? Well, Star Trek is the type of storytelling, especially with as many hours of television as there are and films, 
that there's all these different avenues the franchise could have gone down or stories where they took a right where they could have gone a left or perhaps an actor left early. What happened if they'd stayed? There's just so many questions about the franchise I think we can mine into and kind of contemplate the alternate you know, realities or the alternate futures of what the franchise could have become. And uh, I don't know, do you want to start off with maybe a big one? Yeah, and for me, look, I, as I kind of curated this sort of list of like what ifs i i was doing things were that were like kind of realistic you know like i don't have anything on my list like what if leonardo dicaprio was cast as wesley crusher back in the 1980s and i'd be like no, i better cross that, was... that off hold on, hold on. <laughs> cross that off. <laughs> but i mean that, that was never realistic or you know in the cards or anything like that so i was looking at the things that well maybe that could have happened you know um so for me yeah i'll kick it off with uh, kind of a fun one well, what if denise crosby never quit Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, she was not happy with this. And so what we did know going in is, um, I guess the, the execs were saying that uh, they wanted to eliminate uh, one of the women characters going forward into next season. And the thing is, is that both uh, Denise Crosby and Gates McFadden were playing very utilitarian characters. You have the doctor mm -hmm. and you have the security chief. And I think what would have happened is that we would have had Marina Sirtis eliminated, but like there would be no Counselor Troy moving forward. And that's interesting to me because like if I'm also doing my recollection correctly, the execs were more than happy to let Denise Crosby go, mm -hmm. but they still wanted to eliminate one more woman character. And in that situation, I, I think they had drawn a bead on Counselor Troy because what a utilitarian character that Crusher was. But Gates McFadden yeah. wasn't really having a lot of fun. You know, she saw one of her other co-stars that just left, so she did not come back for season two. So I think it, it's very clear that if Denise Crosby had left the franchise or had uh, stuck around TNG, we would have entered season two with neither Dr. Crusher nor Counselor Troy. Yeah. And I think the dynamic, the dynamic of the next generation would have been very, very different going forward from seasons two onward i i've got some ideas like in my head about what how things could have shaked out uh shaken out but uh what, what are your initial thoughts on this kind of what if that i'm posing to you yeah i mean i had drawn the same conclusion as you that troy would have been gone perhaps troy would have popped up in the all good things uh finale the way that uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the way that uh, tasha yar did or perhaps we would have had uh i don't know um the evil offspring of troy pop up in uh yesterday's enterprise the alternate version or something like that or the, because of that episode um who knows if we would have had a sila or a uh i don't know what's the what's the uh troy trila <laughs> maybe trila pops up later down the road kestra um, kestra Kestra, sure. Um, what is interesting to me about this one is because Troy is such a big part of the Riker story, but also if uh, Tasha Yar stays, what do we do with Worf? Because Worf takes head of security when Tasha Yar leaves and gets a big boost up in the storytelling of TNG, becomes a fan favorite. But suddenly, if you have Tasha Yar staying in season two onwards and occupying that chief of security job, what are they doing with Warp? Is he still running around in a red uniform, filling in on random spots on the ship? No, he'll take uh, Jordy's place and he'll become a chief engineer while Jordy remains at the helm. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine Chief Engineer Warp solving all the problems uh, week to week? That would have been hilarious. Maybe he becomes the counselor. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. That... <laughs> Remember, uh, I think it was Redemption uh, Part Two, mm -hmm. and um, and they had Data take command 
of the I think it was the USS Sutherland and they had the uh, the second in command say that uh, you know just like I don't think um, Klingons would make good counselors I don't think androids would make good captains and so I, I I think he might have a point there I don't know if Klingons despite how racist it sounds I don't know if they would make the best of counselors we haven't seen any evidence of it yet um, but there's so many other like aspects of the of when you look at TNG as a whole like I would suspect we would get I don't know do you think like okay say Troy gets shuttled out of there after season one is Loxana Troy an ongoing presence on the show um did Loxana Troy appear in season one yeah Haven is in season she... one okay yeah okay okay I think they yes I think the answer is yes because of course uh, Michelle Barrett was married to Gene Roddenberry and I kind of think that uh, other than being able to do the voice of the computer, um, inserting Loxana Troy into the picture was kind of a, a maybe a favor to Roddenberry, you know, sure. a couple times every season, you know, uh, or maybe only like, what, did she ever appear more than once or twice any given season, though? Uh, it was usually just once. Yeah. 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 So I still think Loxana Troy would have been popping in. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. How are they explaining this character by the time you get to season six or seven? She's oh, an my daughter. My daughter who was on the <laughs> ship one time long ago. <laughs> well, I mean, they did try to explain like Beverly's absence, you know, in season two. You know, Wesley, Wesley, for whatever reason, like this like 14 year old kid is like not being raised by his mother like <laughs> for an entire year. And then she comes back again uh, how do you think wesley would have felt you know in going into season three like you know he's he's got like the whole like giant doctor's quarters to himself for that one year then mom's back and he's got to share it again and you know she's like uh checking up on him like i i think i would have been a little choked if i was wesley and i got that you know age 14 my own bachelor pad yeah i never really thought about that i would love like a short web series or something like wesley's life for that year the lost year of wesley where it's like like, what is he doing? Is someone checking in on him? Uh, he's not like a, I don't know if they do like legal adult age in the world of Starfleet and in the future, but I don't know. You wouldn't just, I think, like leave a 14-year-old to his own quarters unsupervised, right? Well, I get, and like, who would have been checking in on him? Like, uh, Picard? No. <laughs> yeah, no way. I, I, I guess. <laughs> Counselor Worf. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, if Troy had stuck around, I, I would have be believed that she would have. But, like, let's say there is, there is you know, one Lieutenant Yar on the ship. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a Dr. Crusher, and I don't think there's a Counselor Troy moving forward. Uh, realistically, what do they do with Worf? Like, he is still kind of bouncing around. Remember we did hear from Michael Dorn that he was pretty close to quitting as well because of how bad the makeup was. And yeah. you always hear those stories about, like, how bad the makeup was. But I think it was this past year in Vegas where or maybe two years ago he was explaining just how absolutely excruciating it was. And he had been complaining to the makeup departments about, like, what the glue was doing. And they said, like, oh, yeah, we can change it. And they didn't really do much. And then he finally just went, I, I think, to, like, maybe Rick Berman's office and said, like, I seriously quit. And then they had one more last discussion with the makeup team. And they found some other glue that worked. I didn't realize how close it was uh, to him quitting. But, like, what is the utilitarian role for Worf? moving forward it just seems like such a crowded bridge is he the one sitting to picard's left you know not because he's counselor but like there's really nothing else he can do like do they make up a position for him on the bridge or does he become like transporter chief <laughs> like is there some job they just like stick him in at a certain point because 
he's a very recognizable character. I mean, they were making action figures of him right in season one, but uh, how like is there a job that is not featured on TNG that is featured in some of the other Star Trek shows that he could have like brought on to that show? Yeah, I mean, he could have had Kess's job. Yeah, hydroponics. Maybe... Um, hydroponics. Nurse, you know, uh, doctor's assistant. You know, that bedside manner. Yeah. Maybe a more specific science officer job or something, but I don't really picture him as a science officer. And I don't picture him as like a, uh, you know, the, the morale officer, a.k.a. Neelix. <laughs> Astrometrics, I think that's out too. I don't think that works for well, like, <laughs> When he joined Deep Space Nine, he was uh, the strategic operations officer. Cam, what, what does that job even mean? What does that job title mean? <laughs> I have no idea, and I don't think I'm supposed to ask. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just, it was just Worf. You know, but the thing is, okay, even in strategic ops, in a red uniform, he was still a utilitarian player. You know, I think they would have kind of, he would have been there on the away missions, you know, like he would have been uh, filling in for Wesley on the helm or if Data had to go on a, an away mission or something like that. Like he, but like how often do you get to have like these wharf centric episodes, you know, in which, like, I don't know, I, I just think that they would have had less fun playing with wharf without having that utilitarian job because a lot of the people's like centric episodes it is kind of maybe the jumping off point is their job you know like uh crusher has to investigate the death of some scientist uh, or something like that you know those kinds of things well like the um uh cliffhanger of redemption part one would have been a lot less dramatic had he not been the chief of security <laughs> he was <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No one's like lining up for that one. They're like, ah, oh well. <laughs> so later, red shirt. <laughs> yeah. You also brought up another good point. You know, what is kind of like Worf's kind of broader arc? It's just funny. Like, you know, in the TV show, they always kind of danced around the Riker and Troy stuff. And I don't believe Troy would have been part of the series had Denise Crosby stuck around. But, um, you know, like, I, I think more so in the movies and I guess Star Trek Picard, that is much more front and center. So I think that would have been lacking in Riker's story over the decades to ensue. Let me ask you this, Cam, though. What do you think of Yar's journey? What would it have been like moving forward for another six seasons? So, okay. Like, we saw that Yar had a lot of trauma in her backstory that was very um, awkwardly handled in season one TNG. Uh -huh. So I would imagine, like, the, the character probably would have maybe face down some of that past in terms of storylines going forward, maybe a visit back to her home planet, things like that. Um, I don't know if they would have worked in an ongoing sort of romantic interest. Uh, it's possible. Um, I'm hoping, like, it, it's interesting to me because they, they kept Troy, and Troy is obviously a character we all really love, but, like, when you look at Troy's specific episodes, most of them are really weak. Yeah. And I almost wonder if they would have had more dynamic Tasha Yar episodes because they might have a better sense as to how to write a chief of security story than a counselor story on the show. I agree. I just think that, that she's so much more of an active agent, more so than counselor Troy having to deal with some sort of version of psychic assault that would inevitably happen yeah. in the episode centered around her, you know? And it's just like, oh, are we watching Troy getting victimized once more? I don't picture that necessarily happening with Yar in those Yar-centric episodes. 
Unless there's a penalty box involved. <laughs> and the best uh, Deanna Troy episode is Face of the Enemy, which you could have done with Tasha Yar. Yeah. Um, so, I I don't know. It, it would have been fascinating. But I'll say this. I think TNG, I think it worked out in the end. You know, those first two seasons, very wobbly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but by the time you get to season three, uh, Crusher's back. We have, you know, by Michael Piller kind of making the show less about the guest star of the week and more about the main characters you know i would have been intrigued by what they would have been able to do with er making her much more an interesting nuanced character from season three onwards but i kind of think we won out ultimately i think the biggest travesty though is that we never really got a follow-up to sila we just don't know what happened to her yeah and i think picard star trek picard it just it was so romulan centric you know like i i'm, I'm just kind of like why did they not have sila in it you know they're, they're willing to go on the, these deep dives for like the weirdest kind of star trek trivia but nothing about like sila well yeah i mean look at uh, season one picard and how convoluted and weird it got and you're telling me you couldn't have worked in sila as your adversary i mean narak was not exactly a villain for the ages and they completely forgot about him what happens if they'd made sila the primary antagonist it might have held the screen a little bit better uh I don't know. I don't know why they didn't pay that character off. It felt like of all the things over three seasons of Picard, you would have had a Sela resolution, but uh, who knows? Who knows? So weird. I just, I, I don't understand that. Patrick Stewart has been out there pitching a, a Star Trek Picard film. Oh, uh, is this, is Sela the big bad? Is this where she finally gets a chance to shine? Spoiler, the Borger behind it all. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Cam, Cam, let me ask you this. I I know we're gonna go off on a bit of a tangent. Do do you do you ever need to see the Borg again in Star Trek? No, definitely not. Is there some? Is there anything interesting left to mine? You know. Uh no. I think once they started like taking over like sexy twenty year olds, uh, I'm good. Like I think we've gone as far as we can with the Borg. They're not scary. Uh, there's just nothing left. There's no real mystery. And even when they brought back the Borg Queen in season three it's not like i ended that series going wow i just i feel like i learned so much more about the borg queen yeah i i mean the only thing the only avenue that might be interesting is they do something funny on lower decks you know um we we did get a brief like holodeck kind of version of them you know when uh, boimler was doing that uh that uh like, what was the name of that alien that Bem that was based on? Um, yeah, Bem was the name of the alien, but I don't remember yeah. the name of the character on Lower Decks. But the episode was Ix Cretus, I think. Yes, yes. And they had, like, kind of the, the instructor there had kind of the detachable limbs and uh, all that. Um, Cam, one of the best, like, jokes uh, of the last uh, two or three years in um, uh, cinema was uh, uh, the James Gunn version of Suicide Squad, and you didn't know why Nathan Fillier, Fillion's character is called TDK, yeah. and then he found out it meant the detachable kid. Yes, and he he had har- arms that would like release from his torso and like punch people. <laughs> it was so stupid, but it was hilarious. Like anyway, anyway, I digress. What that's what I've been doing all day. I've been digressing. So Kim, <laughs> what what is on your list here? One that I thought would be fun, it was not in the cards to happen, but when you watch Star Trek Generations, you have Kirk dying at the end. What if Picard had died? What if Patrick Stewart was like, I'll do one movie and I'm out. Kirk lives. Do we have William Shatner captaining the TNG crew for like three movies? 
Wow, I never really considered that. I mean, that would be fun. Um, the it would be a completely different dynamic, uh, with the crew, uh, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, those reunions would be a lot less cozy at the convention. <laughs> I mean, like all those actors, no, uh, no, um, Shatner, like obviously, mm -hmm. and like they they've interacted over the years and stuff. How many like nice Shatner stories do you ever hear from, say? Uh, Jonathan Frakes or uh, LeVar Burton. I've never really heard one that I can think of. I mean, he's done yeah. photos with them. There's that like selfie or, you know, the group selfie that was posted online a lot. Uh, so I'm assuming they're at least on cordial hello terms. Yeah. Uh, he did do that uh, sit down. It was him and Nimoy and um, Frakes and um, Patrick Stewart for the, uh, it was like the one hour uh, Captain Summit special feature. They seem kind of be having a good time there so i'm gonna assume if you sit them down together they get along but i feel like shatner's just on his own wavelength and kind of divorced from their world in general but like if he is the captain of the enterprise d or the you know the e when you go forward like yeah wh what is that like like are they are we getting the same types of movies are they completely changing them like can you picture him saying this line and no further <laughs> in first contact okay. We're, we're, we're not getting Star Trek First Contact, but Cam, we are definitely getting Star Trek Insurrection in which Kirk is searching for the Fountain of Youth and like mm -hmm. Shatner is going all in he, and he's just like, you know what? I've never really lost my youth, but uh, I appreciate seeing all of the, the impact that this is having on you, you know, and just uh, taking it in with like all the hummingbirds and all that sort of stuff. Like, I think that Insurrection would have been amazing to watch um, as everybody kind of, they didn't lean in. Uh, nearly enough to being feet like their uh, younger tendencies, you know, like more impetuous tendencies. Yeah. Um, among the crew, I think that would have made it actually a, a much funner movie because the characters have a reason for being a little bit different or, or, or like going a little bit off the rails versus kind of doing kind of their same old character beats. You know, I think actors really like that. I think that could have been a fun movie, especially with uh, maybe Captain Kirk in command, the Enterprise E for the first time, trying to get to know the crew, <laughs> and the crew's just being a little bit wilder than uh, the audience knows. But also, like, Kirk has that, you know, Peter Pan, second star and straight on till morning kind of attitude, so, like, we've seen Kirk grapple with age uh, in 1982. <laughs> what is he, like, <laughs> grappling with age in, like, 1998? <laughs> <laughs> like I think okay. that would be fun and to be like coming alive again feeling like like a young man are we getting a uh Kirk dance scene the way we did with Picard oh yeah we are the camp Star Trek Nemesis is even better because uh uh Shatner refuses to let anyone <laughs> cast uh anyone else as Shinzon and um Shatner is playing Shinzon as well as playing uh Captain Kirk and they they don't even try to put makeup on Shinzon to make him look younger or anything like that it's just you know it's like no this is uh this is how I still look as a 25 year old right now <laughs> I would love to know in an alternate reality like what the box office is like for those movies because the TNG ones did well but they well first contact in particular but they never quite hit the heights of some of the original series movies I wonder if like Shatner in the lead boosts that at all um hmm I don't like there's no way to know but yeah yeah like like I'm trying to think like like realistically like like because the thing I think part of the reason why like uh like none of those films did uh worse at the box office than say Star Trek, the final frontier. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I would say that they were ready to kind of 
pass the baton on from a like can't how many people are racing off to the box office to see a movie from uh, the same cast as the grand exotic marigold hotel you know where <laughs> sure. it's like everybody's in like their 70s and 80s you know and, and so that's why i think they're ready to like okay well let's give it to people in in their 40s and 50s to really drive the uh, teenagers to the box office you know so um i i think it would have been like uh diminishing returns if we had kept you know the uh, the tos crew you know guiding the fran the film franchise along throughout the 1990s i wonder if shatner survives and is doing tng if they find a way to intermingle like some sort of tos presence as well at a certain point like it would be interesting to live in a world where you had like kind of a mingling of the two crews in ongoing adventures the way you got with say like you know the tv series picard and having seven there yeah um so who would have been okay who would have been the equivalent of seven like the most iconic you know like, take kirk out of the picture would it have been like nimoy kind of coming back most often I think so, unless you want to bring back like old man McCoy and just get that makeup out from um... <laughs> Encounter at Farpoint. I like how your answer to the box office cam, the box office conundrum, <laughs> is getting old man McCoy on all the marketing material. <laughs> they did make an action figure. Uh, I think Nimoy makes the most sense business wise. <laughs> okay, okay, interesting. I, I I would never have guessed that, Cameron. But um... <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Um, one that I kind of alluded to at the start here is, uh, what if Star Trek Phase Two, which was the planned television follow-up in the 1970s to the original Star Trek, yeah, what if Phase Two happened instead of them going forward with the film franchise? What if Phase Two happened and it was successful? You know, maybe it got another five to seven years on television screens in the late 70s and early 80s. Like, how would that have reshaped a the film franchise? And then B, kind of the ensuing kind of Berman era. Like, I don't think we would have been getting Next Generation, at least in its uh, form, in the year 1987. I also don't think that we're getting, say, The Wrath of Khan mm -hmm. in, you know, 1982, for example. Like, I think there would have been a, a, a very different look to the Star Trek franchise had Phase 2 gone forward. Yeah, and you would have also had uh, Nimoy out of the picture, at least initially, on... Um phase two because it was going to be that Vulcan character of Zahn who was like a younger science officer who was going to take that position uh and then also uh Decker and Ilya I think would have been a presence on that show as well so suddenly you have Decker and Ilya as like major icons of Star Trek even more so than they already are uh so oh. sure <laughs> <laughs> so I mean we would have gotten the episode the child earlier uh we know that one <laughs> thanks <laughs> what was the other one that was uh, left over from uh, Phase 2 that they used on TNG? Well, didn't they try to do... Um, it, it was like a scrap script eventually, but they tried to do kind of that AIDS metaphor. Like, um, weren't they calling it like Fever Blood or something like that? Or, okay. I think, wasn't that originally a Phase 2 script? Or was that just like a uh, tossed script from the next generation? Oh, I can't remember. I just know there was two oh, episodes... No, it was, yes, yes, it was Devil's Due. That's the, uh, right. one with uh, Satan. <laughs> yeah, so we would have gotten that in the 1970s as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Devil's Due was pretty bad. <laughs> it was pretty stupid. Uh, the child has nothing to write home about either. 
<laughs> so, uh, well, let me ask you this. Uh, like, okay, so the child, like, I, I guess that would have been an Ilya episode. Um, yeah. The, the, how do you think Shatner and company would have done uh, with the Devil's Due script? The Devil's Due doesn't feel wildly dissimilar from something they might have done on the original series. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the problem would have been if those two scripts are something to go from, I think that phase two might have had like a little bit of a TNG season one kind of feel. Like they're not quite locking down on what the show should be or what makes it great. Uh, I'm going to assume it gets great if it keeps going and is successful. But I, I do think we would have been in for like a wobbly launch for phase two. It's just like weird to imagine a world where like Decker and Ilya become like major presences in the ongoing stories of Star Trek. And so I'm going to assume that, well, is there a film franchise? Like if phase two goes for like five or seven years or something, like are they going to kickstart movies or is it just like kind of a, you know, a bit of a break and then they launch more TV shows? I don't think there's a film franchise. The whole reason they went with the motion picture is because Star Wars turned out to be such a success. So what's going to happen? Let's say it goes seven years. Um, so what year would Phase 2 have probably premiered? What Do you think it would have been 1978 then? Is that what makes the most sense? My memory, and I may be wrong about this, was that it was supposed to be like 73, 74, and that's when the animated series came out. Is that right? Ugh. No, 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 because uh, they were getting ready. Like Phase 2, they had cast Zon for it, and they even had developed marketing material for Phase 2. And at the very last minute, they're like, no, instead of going forward with phase two to launch this new Paramount network, um, and they ended up not launching this Paramount network, we ended up getting UPN in like 1995, um, they said, no, let's see all the success that Star Wars is have, having, let's turn this phase two plan into a Star Trek film franchise. And so that's why we got the motion picture in 1979. Yeah. So phase two would have been, I think, either 78 or 79. So let's jump ahead, maybe a successful seven-year run. We're in the mid-1980s. Is there an appetite for a big screen Star Trek adventure, you know, um, just as, like, say, Return of the Jedi is kind of wrapping things up with the Star Wars franchise? Like, I, I think they got in on the film franchise for Star Trek at just the right time, just kind of capturing that zeitgeist right there. And that's why I maybe would have gotten the Star Trek The Next Generation, but I don't think it would have looked anything like what we got with uh, Picard and Company. Yeah, I, hmm, like, because I'm going to assume that, like, if Phase 2 goes off, like, all good things, like, it ends that show on a triumphant note, then we would have had movies, I think. That would just make sense to me. Um, Because they'd want, I think, keep Shatner, and Shatner's probably not going to do another TV show. Um, it, it would be, like, weird, though, to have a very successful Star Trek show where uh, Spock is not there. And so that would also mean huge things for the ongoing stories of Star Trek anyway, because if Spock's not around, well, uh, if you do get a TNG, he's not popping by there. And like, if they do a Kelvin verse, does the 2009 movie play the same? Probably not. I could see the 2009 movie <laughs> happening though. If they do phase two and it's successful and goes on, I can actually still see a 2009 happening. All right, all right. Well, I'm a little bit more skeptical that we would have gotten a film franchise um, after a phase two, but if they did go forward with it, they, they could have easily had a great marketing hook and kept the same name as uh, the third one and would have been called uh, Star Trek, The Search for Spock. 
And uh, that's when Spock finally makes his return to the franchise almost 20 years since we last saw him. Mm, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> do we get a whale film? You know what? It was just, again, that's kind of capturing like the zeitgeist, you know, as yeah. well, when that one came out. Um, do we get like a whale film as we know it there? Uh, probably not, because I think that would have been delayed a, a few more years until we get around to like doing whales, you know? And so I don't know if there would have been the same appetite for whales, you know? And does Star Trek become like a big franchise? Like, is there a, you know, TNG or DS9 or Voyager? Like, does it expand into other shows? Or does just the end of phase two just lead to, well, that's said and done. And maybe like in 20 years, we try another Star Trek show. Well, that's kind of why I brought this topic up. And I, I had alluded to it. Well, no, I, I said it very explicitly a couple of weeks ago when uh, I was watching uh, For All Mankind, uh, the uh, Apple TV uh, alternate history series uh, developed by Ronald D. Moore, uh, one of the uh, big writers on uh, Deep Space Nine and Next Generation. But they established in that alternate history that as of the year, uh, I think is 2002, that uh, there was only ever three Star Trek series, you know, and mm. I kind of, the math kind of makes sense to me, you know, like I just, like, I don't think there would have ever been a Berman era. Yeah. You know, I don't think we would have been getting a DS9 or, or a Voyager or an Enterprise or anything like that. I think they would have maybe, let's say they did hypothetically transition to some uh, movies. The other thing though, Cam, uh, <laughs> Okay, around the time that they would have been transitioning into uh, from Phase Two to Star Trek films, it would have been around the um, the Final Frontier era, and that was a movie. Um, when we watched those in order, it looked as if the entire TOS cast had aged about twenty years in between <laughs> uh, the Voyage Home and the Final Frontier. So I think yeah. that would have been one of the things working against transitioning um, the, the rapidly aging crew into um matinee stars at, at, at that point <laughs> yeah like <laughs> we'd be in the same situation as uh captain kirk as the head of the enterprise e in the 1990s where it's like <laughs> this is uh yeah. really straining credulity yeah yeah i can see that <laughs> so okay okay oh. okay i would have been fascinated had there been like um phase two but i don't know if we would have been doing a star trek podcast in the year that is uh 2024 uh had the series kind of eased into like a, a phase two and beyond after that yeah although this would have probably scrapped the phase two fan film series uh as well which i know was an ongoing thing for a while <laughs> i'm choked absolutely choked <laughs> so my next one when we get to season four ds9 they introduce Worf onto the show what would have happened if they had introduced a different tng legacy character onto ds9 and who would have been like an interesting one I think they wanted somebody else to come in on the show, like a recognizable face, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's why there had been speculation that maybe one, uh, Jonathan Frakes would be the captain of the USS Voyager. Maybe it would have been Tom Riker who would have been um, in command of Voyager at that point. Um, like my best guess though, with regards to Deep Space Nine, like, it, like Jordy? You know, okay, okay let, let, let's do order of elimination first. Like, yeah. it's not going to be Picard, you know. Um, <laughs> what, what exactly is Riker going to be doing on the space station? You know, it's it's Commander Riker um, <laughs> and Command... Oh, uh, uh, I guess it would have been Captain Sisko at that point. Uh, yeah. He would have just been promoted. Um, one, I like how Sisko got promoted to Captain one episode, exactly one episode before 
um, Worf arrived on the station. So it would have been Captain Sisko and Commander Riker. I, that seems weird. It does. Um, do you think Brent Spiner would have, you know, returned as Data to be on Deep Space Nine? Well, like, what is Data doing there? Like, what is his assignment? What is he like in week to week <laughs> doing on that show? You're you're an idiot, dude. It's so obvious. Um, <laughs> he goes he goes from operations to strategic operations. Oh, like, it's right okay. there in the job title. Come on, come on. But I know what you're saying. Like, what exactly? Like, is he in charge of the Defiant? You know, like, I don't know. It's just like, does he have a romance with Jadzia? <laughs> yeah exactly you know um remember like data was kind of supposed to be the uh spock analog and mm-hmm. we did establish that jedzia was very attracted to spock when we went to trials and tribulations so there's that um okay so that, that that's three folks we can probably eliminate um crusher's not coming there like because what is like bashir gonna do yeah um, well what if it's what if it's commando crusher <laughs> Yeah. Well, then what is Odo going to do, right? You know? So. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> but, okay, I, I say, what is Odo going to do? Uh, they did bring on Worf, and they established early on that Worf, don't be messing around with Odo's, um, you know, security duties. And so, you know, maybe that's why Commando Crusher could have lived in um, uh, unison with uh, Odo there. Um, but then, uh, like, they couldn't really figure out what Troy should be doing week to week on the enterprise so is she there as a counselor i mean they did give it another go with um esri and they actually found like far more utilitarian roles for esri as the counselor um i think they kind of made it their mission like maybe i think some of the writers are like okay maybe we failed uh troy let's try to do this counselor role justice here um so that leaves us with just like jordy i think like it is there anyone else? Like, I don't know, Wesley? Like, <laughs> like uh, between Wesley and Jordy, like, what would have made more sense? Uh, well, I was going to say just about Troy. Like, the one thing that's interesting about Troy is that, like, the problem with TNG was the characters were a little too together. Whereas, like, DS9, it's kind of like a group of uh, quite a few broken people on that show yeah. that are repairing themselves. Like weirdos. So, well, yeah, they're kind of the misfits of the Star Trek universe. So, like, I actually think... Troy would have had a lot more to do in talking to some of these individuals. Like, I can picture her, you know, counseling Odo when he's, like, lovesick over Kira or something like that. Like, I can see storylines you could have written for Troy where she's interacting with these characters. Um, You know, I would love to see a Troy counseling Garrick episode. Like, that could be interesting. Yeah. So I think she may have actually fit okay on the show. I don't know if Marina Sirtis would have been thrilled, considering some of the things she said about DS9 in the years since. But uh, <laughs> who knows? She would have been cashing those checks. She would have been cashing those checks, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, I really like that idea of Troy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, uh, how do you think she and, and Kira would have gotten along? Well, it would have been interesting because they're very different energies. Uh, yeah. Very yeah, different. Like opposites. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, you could have had counseling scenes with Kira for sure. Um, Like, I think Troy may have had her work set out for her on DS9, whereas on TNG, she really didn't have that much work to do other than, like, some random kid of the week or something. Cam, let me actually bring it back to a question you had posed um, earlier on in this episode. You know, if Troy was never in TNG, you would have been like, would they even have bothered to bring back Loxana? And I was like, uh, well, they were bringing back Loxana on Deep Space Nine all the yeah. time for no apparent reason. So I think we would have been getting a lot more Loxana on Deep Space Nine as well. Yeah, and that would have justified it even more so if Troy was the ongoing character on DS9 uh, from Season 4 onwards. I, I'd 
kind of like this. Cam, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of surprised. In my head, I was thinking like maybe like maybe like uh, Jordy made the most sense, despite the fact that O'Brien would have been there. That would have been like some cause for uh, some uh, tension. I I like this Troy idea a lot more though. Yeah, like because Jordy, he's there to be like engineer extraordinaire, but like that kind of shows up um miles o'brien on the show and that's do we want that like do we want miles o'brien taking kind of like a lesser position because you have jordy there i don't i don't know about that and wait wait wait. i've got the explanation okay it's um the klingons they're 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 getting more aggressive you know and they can bring in only one person to help kind of ease the tensions with the klingon empire jordy laforge who's like (laughs) hey guess what I worked with a Klingon once. Uh, I know everything about the Klingons moving forward. I am now the strategic operations officer. <laughs> like, I can picture more so the Geordi of, uh, like, Picard Season 3 on a DS9 show, but not Geordi coming off of TNG. It just doesn't seem like a good fit. And Wesley, God knows what Wesley would do on that show. Like, I have no clue what that character would be doing. Well, because by then... Okay, okay, so by the time that... Worf entered on season four like it was uh okay tng had already been off the air for two years so that meant that wesley had already gone off with the traveler so essentially the uh, season four would have opened with the wormhole expelling like wesley uh, and the traveler and it would have been a two-parter all about the the traveler and wesley um uh, ending their partnership <laughs> and Wesley deciding to stick around on uh, Deep Space Nine for whatever reason. I don't know what he would have been doing week to week, but he would have been, uh, I don't know, like uh, offering the opportunity to go traveling to every young 21-year-old who arrived on the station, a.k.a. <laughs> uh, uh, what was her name again? Uh, Kira or Koira or uh, what, what was the name of uh, Soong's android or clone daughter from Picard oh, Season 2? Koray. Corey, yeah, yeah, Corey. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, like, what is Wesley doing during the Dominion War? <laughs> like, I just can't see that one. Whereas I can see <laughs> Troy counseling people that have gone through yeah. the war. Like, I think, oh my God, like the Troy and Nog episode. I mean, you know, yeah. Paper Moon is already fantastic. Well, but nonetheless, I think uh, Troy would have been really good in that episode as well. Kim, uh, you've sold me on this. I, I think it's just interesting, like how, okay. You go back and you consider like how much more nuance and how much more development Deep Space Nine gave to Worf. I really think that Trey would have had that same opportunity on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I think she would have benefited even more so than Worf because Worf was already a pretty big fan favorite character who had some really iconic moments on TNG and some really good episodes. Whereas Troy was always like, people would always say, well, face of the enemy, that one's great. And what's next in line? Cam, I've got it. Yeah? In the Pale Moonlight would have been all about Troy, because uh, the face of the enemy. And, um, it would have been about her dragging um, the Romulans into the Dominion War. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would be one hell of a twist. She would have just been speaking to the camera in her uh, in her counselor's log <laughs> the entire time. And then it ends with her holding a glass of whiskey and saying, computer, delete files, and then just taking a big swig. No, no, it has to be like a chocolate milk or something or a sundae. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, she's just gorging herself on a hot fudge sundae. <laughs> computer, delete files. <laughs> okay. Sign me up for this. <laughs> yes, yes. 
okay, okay. I like this idea. I like this idea. Camp, I've got another another one for you. Um, what if Brian Fuller had never been turfed from oh. Star Trek Discovery? You know, Brian Fuller uh, was, of course, the uh, former writer-producer on Voyager. He's kind of known for a lot of his, like, uh, weird out-there episodes. He he loved kind of playing with the Vidians, as we saw in Fury. He did some of those very uh, kind of uh, cynical, more cynical, like, dark episodes. Like, um, uh, was it Demon or was it the follow- Or A Course Oblivion was yeah. kind of the sequel to Demon. And, um, you know, like, I absolutely adore uh, the Hannibal TV series. You were very meh on it. Um, I think you're uh, deranged for being so <laughs> meh on it. But, um, but he's done a lot of these very quirky kind of cult- series um you know like wonder falls was another one um that uh, got like has like really hardcore fan base uh same with hannibal um i was so elated just over the moon like excited when i heard that brian fuller was going to be leading the way on this new era of star trek which was star trek discovery um i think this era of star trek would have looked completely different i mm-hmm. think that discovery uh, would have been a completely different animal. It became very clear to us in conventions that we've gone to, t- the degree to which the writers were just making up everything as they were going along throughout the course of season one. I don't get the sense that that would have been kind of the Brian Fuller sort of deal. Also, when you go and watch his shows, you know, whether it is Wonder Falls or Hannibal, he is very much like kind of a visual storyteller. He wants to make colors pop. He wants to put like the weirdest images possible on the screen like i think it would have been the most visually dynamic star trek series that we've ever seen before although you go to that berman era i mean not the most visually dynamic at all but i I, i'm always fascinated by how visually beautiful like the original series looks and just how the colors pop on that show you know back in the 1960s versus kind of the um uh, more kind of fluorescent like bland like next generation sort of look and you know, so I, I just think like like a fuller sort of discovery would have just been something really, really cool and like really, really different. And we would not have had so many moments in which, you know, Burnham's crying all the time. Yeah. And like, wasn't the plan to do more of an anthology show where it would be like kind of changing up the energy of the show every season? Like my understanding, it would have been essentially kind of the same sets. Maybe they would have like... uh done some like retrofitting to the sets every season but it would have always taken place on what was known as the discovery Mm. and it would have been new crews and maybe you'd jump ahead you know 30 years or jump ahead 100 years with like the new iteration every single season of a new discovery a new crew and i think that would have been kind of a fat like we've never seen that before in star trek and i think that would have been something like you know going in like he really wanted to rethink the franchise and i think that he had proven himself capable of doing that like um in something like Hannibal where you take kind of the um like kind of IP that had been done to death you know at the point like kind of like the, the Hannibal Lecter had kind of been turned into a clown uh, by the time you get to the end of that um Anthony Hopkins era of uh of uh kind of the, the Silence of the Lambs iteration yep there and um I think Brian Fuller like really rethought what they could do with this kind of like procedural crime drama. And I think you only watch season one, which is very much focused on kind of like the crime of the week. And then moving forward to seasons two and three, he really rethought 
um, how you could iterate on that. And they got rid of more of that kind of procedural stuff. And I think when you're trying to think about Star Trek, how it kind of got like into, you know, the alien of the week sort of mm -hmm. deal, the mission of the week sort of deal. And I think what he would have been doing, he would have bring would have brought on more of this serialized kind of concept that we saw in Deep Space Nine and um, uh, Enterprise as well. I just think that he would have been operating in a way that he, he would have been kind of pushing the boundaries. And by that, I don't mean by like having like Klingon nudity or dropping F-bombs, but like pushing the boundaries of how he understands Star Trek. And this is based on what, what I've seen his other outputs um, at, at this point, although he's kind of dropped off the map yeah. um, over the last, you know, seven, eight years. And I think the big problem was is that um, he likes his big budgets and he likes going overboard in terms of budgets. And I think that's why it ultimately did not work out with him and the uh, the uh, folks at Discovery. I also think that he was trying to get, like, Edgar Wright to direct the uh, first uh, episodes of uh, Discovery as well. And, like, he wanted to bring, like, this big dynamic visual splash to Star Trek as we know it, too. And, like, he's someone who can veer a little edgy when you look at some of his Voyager episodes and then obviously Hannibal as well. Do you think we would have seen a more, like, adult Star Trek the way that Discovery started off and had some pretty severe violence and was definitely not necessarily the family show that Star Trek traditionally is. Do you think he would have gone down that road or do you think he would have stuck truer to like that TNG or TOS kind of feel of a show that may have some edgier episodes, but is aimed at everyone? Well, I think it's a great question because, okay, like I, I would long consider Star Trek to be like a family show. You know, there, there are those like episodes that are a little kind of pushing the boundaries when you think of, um, say uh night terrors from mm, yeah uh, you know uh, tng for example but um more broadly you know i, I think uh, yeah there's some violent episodes uh, like uh, uh from uh, what's the one where uh kira while pregnant has been kidnapped by that um yeah cardassian who is disfigured in a bombing she was responsible and he was going to take the uh the o'brien's baby out of her womb and give the baby a ch like that is dark dark stuff you know that star trek was willing to go there fuller though i, I will point out that like things like um uh wonder falls or um pushing daisies they weren't like super grotesque macabre sort of stuff the same way that hannibal was and i wonder if he like he obviously has that background of like loving the vidians you know um but I, I think it would have been interesting. I think he would have been playing without, within the boundaries of Star Trek, but also pushing boundaries, too. Um, would he have been, like, introducing, like, uh, decapitated Klingon babies? Um, maybe? I, 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 I <laughs> hope it would actually serve some sort of purpose, unlike what we saw in Season 2 of Discovery. Yeah, because... Uh, now, when he was on board to do it, it was going to go down the mirror universe road, wasn't it? Like that was in the and, cards. And yes, and would have been mirror universe very early on. Yeah, like very very early on. Like I, I think they were talking about like maybe like by episode three. Was the Klingon War still a factor, or was that something that came later? I my understanding it was still going to be a factor. Like they kind of would have kicked things off with the Klingon War, then jump into the mirror universe. Um after that and then come back and then kind of continue on this is what i'm piecing together from like uh all, all these disparate bits of information uh, as well as just us going to the the jason isaacs uh convention panel that we went 
two was was that in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen? But he had a lot of fascinating insights into what the original story was, and he also kind of uh, brought up the fact that the writers are saying like, yeah, we're just kind of making it up as we go along. But um, I think he was the one who had established that the plan was for them to jump into the mirror universe uh, very very early on until they actually shifted it way further back into the season. And weren't there also rumors of Scott Bakula um, returning in some way? And also, was it Michael Dorn? Uh, rings some bells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Michael Dorn was supposed to be kind of the baton, or baton, uh, the baton passer yeah. in the first episode. You know, you could have kind of a... Remember, we did have Colonel Worf in Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Of course. So I wonder if this would have been like a Sergeant Worf or, or Major Worf at this point. I remember he said something about like the makeup was quite out there for Worf. Like I remember we saw oh. Michael Dorn at the convention and he's like, they were doing some odd things with the makeup. So this was in San Francisco. I remember this now. This is, uh, we were in San Francisco when uh, he had revealed this and he said that he yeah. went into meetings with Brian Fuller and he had revealed some of the makeup stuff. And he said there was something, it had something to do with like Klingon's eyelids or like the eyes looked like profoundly different than anything we had seen before. Yeah, so it is interesting that we would have seen probably some sort of redesign on the Klingons, maybe not the same as what we got on the Discovery that exists, but there would have been something done to the Klingons. Well, I mean, the, the whole reason that they reconfigured the Klingons like they did is for the Ash Tyler reveal. Like, and yeah. so I'm like, okay. I, I mean, like, I'm not so upset about, like, revising the look of the Klingons because uh, it's been done so many times. I just think it got a little messy because they tried to kind of, like, retcon that in enterprise and kind of fix that but then they didn't really address that going back into uh in discovery and i i'll point this out they've been in the uh 32nd century for like two seasons now i don't think we've ever seen a klingon since have we um not a klingon character i'm trying to think if we've ever seen like a background player i, I don't think so i think they've just i don't think quietly so. pushed the klingons away away because i think <laughs> Yeah, like we've seen like uh say Worf in Star Trek Picard, you know, and like he's back and so there <laughs> it wasn't like Worf returned in Star Trek Picard looking like a Discovery era Klingon. No, and then you also had Klingons popping up on Strange New Worlds and looking more or less as we would expect them to, uh so the undoing the Discovery makeover as well. So it's all very confusing. Yeah, one of the interesting things is even just kind of the costuming in uh, Strange New Worlds is more akin to the Klingons as we know them as well, you know. Um, what was the name of that uh, Season 2 Strange New Worlds episode? Uh, the, the Butcher or something like that. Um, that uh, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry? Oh, no, that's uh, Season 2 of, uh, or Season 1 of uh, Discovery. I think of the, uh, that Klingon-centric episode Oh, in uh, Strange New World season two, where you had um, that kind of war criminal, quote unquote, who had turned kind of uh, ambassador uh, for the Federation. Uh, it was played by uh, Robert, uh, uh, Robert, Robert Wisdom. And um, yeah, yeah, the Mabenga episode. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. But more or less like the Klingons were they, they weren't like looking like so much like the Klingons as we knew them from Discovery. Yeah, that one has faded from from my memory banks as to what that episode was called. Did it have the word war in the title? I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, no, you know what, Cam? It, uh, the original title was uh, War. What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. 
great Seinfeld reference. And yeah. I like how I had to announce that I had a great Seinfeld reference. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. A fuller discovery would have been a completely different thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm choked that we never got it because I don't think discovery ever reached its full potential based on kind of some of those highs that we got in seasons one and two. You know, I go back and look at uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that is an all-time episode of Star Trek. That is what Star Trek is. And that's where you and I got fooled, and we were like, oh, man, Discovery's figured itself out, and it's just going to be gravy going forward. And then it just appeared to us like, oh, that was more just like kind of a, a blip, a fluke. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. so, I don't know. Uh, like, uh, and I don't know. All I can hope for now is yet another Hannibal reboot from Brian Fuller. <laughs> Well, why don't I close this out with a Voyager-centric one? We've kind of danced around Voyager, but this is kind of an obvious one. But Kess, what happens if Kess stays on the show? Because I believe it was up in the air, wasn't it, that it was going to be either her or Harry Kim was going to be departing, and then Garrett Wong wound up being you know, brought on to the future seasons. So what happens, I guess, if they cut Harry Kim, but Kess becomes an ongoing presence on Voyager? Does that change things too much? Does... I guess we get to see more of the evolution of Kess, which would be interesting, and was definitely being set up for something much grander than what we got. Well, you could tell that they were trying to make her more utilitarian, you know, going into season three with a lot more of the uh, psychic abilities. The, mm-hmm. the time travel episode is really good. I'm always messing up the episode title, but it was like, it was either called Before and After or Again and After, or something like that. But uh, I thought again, that was a great Kess episode. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh yesterday um uh yesterday's enterprise oh no tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow is yesterday um uh, uh, you know and, and like the thing is like by, by season three it's like okay they're kind of getting a handle on cast here um so i i mean it can they kind of had that whole like deanna troy problem it's like they create this character but one without so much of a utilitarian role in mind and I, I think that was a bit of a challenge um moving forward i mean <laughs> she's like kind of the complete opposite of uh seven i i could almost picture kind of a seven and Kess like friendship developing though you know because like Kess is very uh warm and um, a little naive whereas mm-hmm. you know seven's cold and cynical i think that would have been a fun dynamic moving forward uh both those characters spent a lot of time hanging out with the doctor as well that could have been kind of an interesting little triumvirate between those three. Like, uh, I, I think there could have been like some fun adventures going on between uh, Cast Seven and the Doctor uh, if you know uh, she continued on the series and Voyager went on those remaining seasons too. And also, like more of the mentoring with Tuvok, which would give Tuvok more to do on the show than pair up with Neelix. Uh, so that would be a plus. I also think there's like something really cool about the fact that like. If you had seven seasons of Voyager and Kess is two when the show starts, like what happens if Kess passes away at the end of the show? Like her entire lifespan was the journey, whereas for these other characters, it was about getting back to their lives. I think like that is actually a really compelling story for that character and the sort of thing that we will probably never get in a Star Trek, you know, series or anything like that going forward. And it just feels like a missed opportunity to never be able to do that. And instead we wound up with, you know, Fury and what have you. Well, remember the old age makeup they gave her in Fury as well? And it, oh it looked pretty bad. You know, could you imagine like there would have been an entire season five or season six <laughs> of like 
her having to walk around in that old age makeup. <laughs> the whole season seven. Oh my god, that would be uh, amazing. It would be like the J. Edgar makeup going on for uh, yeah. He would have had to reuse that wheelchair from the Deep Space Nine episode Melora, <laughs> and uh, she would have been like <laughs> bouncing around in that, you know. Or else, uh, you know what, Kim? Dude, <laughs> her character arc would have been in like season five. Uh, she would have been looking through the Starfleet databanks and she would have discovered, oh, there's a species in the Alpha Quadrant or the Beta Quadrant called the Sona. They're really into like facelifts and uh, <laughs> like, you know, like making themselves look younger. We could have had Kess looking like the Sona in season five. Yeah, and maybe uh, we would have gotten that whole story about the Fountain of Youth as well because uh, Kess would really need it far more than uh, Picard and crew. Well, did you know it was interesting? Like, she essentially looked the same age from seasons one through three except yeah they let her have long hair at, a, at one point um like i think they're kind of pushing it like how long could they make her like look the same age and i think did they try to say that there's like some sort of like chronoton matter <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about that time travel episode again where that chronoton matter may have expanded her lifespan or something like that it's just like I just, they would have had to find a solution. I don't think they would have been putting her in old age makeup. I think they would have. Wait, what a dumb idea, though. Like, yes, let's create a character with a nine-year lifespan. Yeah. And we're going to hire some, like, teenager uh, to kick it off. Yeah. And um, the show's going to go seven seasons. And, uh, oops, <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Like, Oh, I know. We're going to write her off. Yeah. Or, or, like, recast her with, like, I don't know, Judy Dench. <laughs> like... <laughs> when you get to the end, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it would only make sense if you were going to, like, recast with different ages, like, every couple seasons or something. But uh, I don't think fans want that either, though. It, it, it would have been, like, uh, one of those 1980s, 1990s uh, sitcom tropes where, like, they keep recasting the kid, you know, like, the youngest mm. kid of the family, like, uh, every single season. Or, like, I, I know you've never watched Mad Men, but uh, the, uh, the, the youngest son was uh of don draper who was played by like six different actors over the course of the uh the 10-year period that the show took place over okay it was pretty funny there, there's a lot of funny memes about this uh they did land on like uh one one actor by the end of the the, the last two seasons or so that was actually pretty good okay uh oh you could have also gone like the torah zial route where it's like <laughs> how many different guesses <laughs> over the span yeah which yeah they really didn't think that through did they the whole cast thing no, but they also didn't really think through the whole Maquis thing either. That's you true. know, it's just like I kind of wish they they had thought through that show a lot more, and I think it would have been a little like. But it's interesting. I, I was about to say something starky like it would have been a little bit more revered. Um, Cam, I think it is a very revered show. You know, mm -hmm. you go to the conventions, and it has a huge fan base. When you and I do these episodes, and I go back and I rewatch some Voyager stuff, I'm like, oh. Oh, this is pretty darn good. I think I had it in my head, like, at the time. Like, uh, it felt a little bit more like TNG light. Um, I, I think what graded on me is more um, how inconsistent they were with some of the characters. Like, you know, they're, they're like, oh, we've just kind of given up on Bellana Torres, you know. Like, uh, yeah. she's she's going to hang out in Engineer and you're never going to check in on her. You know, like, maybe give her, like, one or two lines of dialogue every season. You know, and this is kind of like, ah, oh, that's just kind of a bummer, you know. But the thing is, they're still doing, like, really interesting things with Janeway and the Doctor and Seven. And maybe once in a while you'd get some of the other crew members probably tom paris with kind of an interesting episode like 30 days i was gonna say tom paris yeah he's the one of the kind of the next tier down who's most likely to get decent scraps i found um hear that robbie mcneil decent scraps for you 
<laughs> okay, so on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Cam, we will be tackling the journey of one wharf from Star Trek. Um, talk about that wharf there. Um, is one of the most iconic characters, and it, it's interesting that we haven't tackled him. It's usually kind of the journeys of, um, say, like a, a Janeway or an Archer, or what have you. Uh, we did the journey of Dakota not too long ago, and that was a lot of fun. I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Worf's character has changed uh, significantly from where we met him <laughs> to where we've left him off. Uh, you know, from uh, the uh, encounter at Farpoint to uh, the next generation, and by the next generation, I mean uh, the series finale of Star Trek: Picard. Um, that is the episode <laughs> title there, Yep. <laughs> you know, so yep. I think those will be very fun uh, for us to just kind of track how much he's changed, what his most ex- significant episodes have been and why he resonates so much, um, not just in kind of fandom, but like pop culture, too. OK, I think this will be a lot of fun. The Ducat one was and uh, there's a lot more even going on with Warp than Ducat. So I'm down for this. Of course, you can also find us on the Twitter I'm at Cam V as in Vase 2, Smith. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You know you're stretching. (laughs) And you know I'm stretching because you can find me at Reportant. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in Enterprise, uh, Season 5. You should have gone P as in Pays 2. (laughs) (laughs) That's stupid. And I like it. I like stupidity. So until next time, the arena is closed. Computer, delete files.